0: Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment. I've got Mike Rastigue here with me today. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Greg. So I'd like to hear a little bit about you and your background. I understand that you are uh, very heavily into cyber insurance, cyber risk, and all of that, which is a an area that we really haven't talked about on this podcast yet. So I'm really excited about this. But yeah, let's hear a little bit about yourself.
1: So uh, I can. So right now, I lead the cyber solutions team for Crum and Forrester. Um, we're an insurance company. I'm not quite an insurance underwriter. Not quite like a claims attorney. Uh, I sit somewhere in between, doing sort of more of the technical end of both of those. Um, my path here was certainly not very directed and it's a little bit meandering. Um, you know, the, the really short version is I, uh, you know, like, like pretty much everyone else in this field, I got into technology when I was really young, you know, I had a Commodore 64 and, uh, my first computer, uh, uh, built my first computer when I was about uh 11 or 12 years old because uh my friend's dad was an engineer and got tired of us stealing his CAD machine to play video games on (laughs) so he sort of bribed us like hey I'll, I'll buy new parts for a computer and teach you how to build one if you leave mine alone um so that that sort of kicked off the lifelong interest but yeah uh the short version is I went to school started working in uh help desk um went home one summer and accidentally started up my own MSP. You
0: know what? I'm gonna... An accidental entrepreneur. Yeah, That's you know, awesome. I, had,
1: I had some friends of family that wanted, uh, you know, hey, I need you to fix my computer. And that turned into fix my business's computer. And that turned ah. into a friend's business's computer. And uh, yeah, I just decided to roll with that. So I, I, I didn't graduate. And I, I just kind of spun up the MSP for a few years. And you know, eventually, um, I, I like the the IT and the technology end of things, but I was no good at running a business, so <laughs> it eventually got to the point where I was either going to have to step back and lead the company or, you know, there's just no way to scale it, so I decided to, uh, you know, wind that down, went back, finished my degree, uh, at that point, um, went to law school, uh, I was going to be an intellectual property attorney, and was actually studying for the patent bar when I kind of, uh, fell into like everyone else in the insurance industry, uh, family, friends or or something like that. Nobody aims for insurance.
0: Accidentally kind of like the MSP, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I, uh, yeah, wound up just kind of stumbling my way in here and, uh, happened to be, uh, a new insurance broker with an IT and security background right at the time that cyber insurance was becoming thing. It was just serendipity. So, um. Moved around a little bit, went to uh, left insurance to go work secops for a little bit, thinking, "Hey, I'm going to keep my skills sharp." Uh, it's a hard challenge. <laughs> um, wound up finding my way back into insurance. So.
0: Well, and uh, cyber insurance, of course, is is such a a moving target field. It's uh, uh you have so many so many challenges with regards to both determining the underwriting and also helping small and mid-sized businesses with the everyone's goal of trying to make them as secure as possible so that the, you, you don't actually have a breach and you don't have a... I'm not, I was about to say a need for cyber insurance. That's not a need for a claim. That's probably the better way to say it, um, which is really what we're all striving for. But um, so I, I we've been involved with uh, Net Diligence and their e-risk hub for several years, and that's really how I first came upon to to learn about Crum and Forrester, and also as a part of getting ready for this podcast, uh, learning a little bit about the Cyber Ready product that you all have out there, which I, I kind of looked into a little bit, but... Could you explain that a little bit more for for like a layman, particularly myself? Like, think of me like, you know, um, cyber risk for dummies (laughs) in insurance.
1: So I guess here's the real challenge. And I'll get into a little bit of the why. But the the macro issue here is cyber risk in inherent, you know, we're we're inherently insuring a volatile risk that changes. It moves faster than other traditional risks that we insure things like, you know, your general liability, which is you know, somewhat pejoratively called slip and fall insurance. Um, Every business has it. Uh, Your property insurance against things like fires and hurricanes and earthquakes. We are, as an industry, very well versed in doing that sort of thing. Like if you look at property insurance, we have hundreds of years of weather and loss and natural catastrophe data that informs the way that we understand that risk. Well, cyber insurance, depending on who you talk to, yeah, there are things like cyber insurance back in the 90s. It really uh, didn't morph into sort of its modern form until about 2015 in the wake of some, uh, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, we know them high profile data breaches that make corporate America sort of sit up and go, oh, whoa, this isn't just jargon that we throw at the IT department and say, solve this. There's like real risk here that we need to manage. Mm -hmm. And there was a rapid evolution of coverage and where every year, because this was a new revenue stream without a lot of historical loss data was happening is it was a buyer's market. So every year you went in, the underwriting got easier. You got more coverage for less money. And you know, this this sort of just became this like almost nuisance coverage. Like you bought it to check a box on a contract and let's move on. Um, and then yeah, somewhere along the line, we saw that that trend of the, the intersection of hyper-connected businesses and every business process being computerized now, and uh, also ransomware threat actors sort of professionalized. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a new era in risk. And unfortunately, uh, because we don't have that long tail of experience uh, with lost data for this environment, what's happened is the insurance industry is just, we're reacting. We're doing the best we can to apply a lot of our, our long, um, you know, our, our, our data science and our, our modeling and our, you know, we need to be stable. We're inherently risk averse as an organization or as an industry, even though we we take risk on, uh, we, we try to do it intelligently. And that's just really hard to do. And there isn't a lot of, um, let's just put it this way. There isn't exactly a natural talent pipeline that feeds from, I worked in IT and security to I'm underwriting insurance. Right. So there's a little bit of collision of two cultures here while we really figure this out. And over time, that will become a more mature intersection. But right now, um, this is all preamble to say the genesis of these cyber ready calls is that as the environment has gotten more volatile in you know the last 12 to 18 months, the underwriting timeline has compressed, the standards have gone up and the price has gone up. And so we're frequently having this conversation where two years ago, somebody bought insurance and it cost them next to nothing. And all they did was check half the, the boxes on the application, send it off and never thought about it again. And now all of a sudden it costs real money and we're asking questions and we're telling them, no, you need security controls that you don't have. Which when you're, you're doing that 30 days before their insurance policy renews, it's not really <laughs> enough time to react. So the whole, the genesis of the cyber ready call is to get out ahead of that. Let's go at two or three months before renewal when you have time to deploy some security controls, time to understand what's going on in the market. Let's just make sure people aren't getting blindsided with tough news.
0: That's awesome. That's a, 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 and, and I love the proactive nature of it because, yeah, I, I, from, from the virtual CISO perspective, Sometimes we'll get calls that may or may not be prompted, like, say, with that cyber insurance, where suddenly they're like, well, we have to put in this multi-factor. We don't know what that is. And if we don't, we can't get our cyber insurance. And by the way, we have to do it in 15 days. And it's like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like something that you said about the the lack of, and I might not be paraphrasing this right, but the... Current lack of um, natural flow of of talent from like information security into there, because in in infosec there is there is more of a a mindset for, for to approach infosec as risk management and that 's been going on for quite some time, but you know we 've done these really pretty and in some ways not terribly useful heat maps. I mean, when you do a, a multiplication of numbers that have no values behind it, it's not really doing any math, it's fake math. But there's been a push in the in information security to do more quantification of risk based on cost and cost exposure, fair factor analysis of information risk being one of the more, more popular ones. So I, I almost can see that there's like a convergence here coming from both sides. Um, what do you see as like, though, you mentioned ransomware. Um, I was actually just talking earlier this morning on the, the Friday audio-only podcast we, that we record and, and put out. Talked a little bit about uh, Conti is still out there and, and causing issues and all that, the ransomware du jour. Um, that's certainly a, a major, major um, risk for small and mid-sized businesses. But what, what other things do you see out there? or is, Would you say ransomware is the largest one right now?
1: uh, Ransomware is certainly the largest one right now. It has been for the last few years, depending on what data set you see. There's roughly a 500% increase in ransomware frequency, you know, an actual like insurance loss caused by ransomware from
0: about
1: the end of
0: 2020. You Uh, said a 500% increase? Yeah, roughly 500%.
1: And, you know, if you look at one study versus another, it'll tell you different things. There is no like... Um, you know, single source of truth in this industry, same challenge with security, uh, but a lot of perspectives definitely trending in the same direction. Point is, it's dramatically higher now just over a few years. Mm-hmm. And that has almost singularly consumed insurance underwriting for the last, say, 18 months, because it has become so prolific, and not just the frequency, but the actual ransom demands have gotten bigger. On top of that, we're seeing um, it just... I think we're getting more acquainted with the sort of knock-on damage to ransom. A lot of times, the, the ultimate financial fallout of a successful ransomware attack, the paying the ransom isn't the biggest piece of it. It's lost revenue. It's all the time that you spend having to rebuild your systems. Now you can't trust everything. So everything needs to be audited. You need to burn it all down and rebuild from clean. It, it's and,
0: just, it's, and, it's and there's the reputational risk as well, too, because yeah. uh, certainly you don't want to have your name um in the in 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 the newspapers and well here I'm dating myself in the news <laughs> i don't know do they still have newspapers um so ransomware a lot of the times a vector in is um through a compromised account, and obviously two factor can can mitigate that, but on the flip side, i was uh on a Twitter thread earlier, that the question was, "How can you help convince somebody who's an employee that they need to not share their password if they're using multi-factor?" Because they say, "Well, you know, I got multi-factor, so why do I even care about the password?" And that kind of began a whole conversation about layered security and and all of that. But from from your perspective, again, I, I, you're the you're on the insurance side; <clears throat> we're on the practitioner side. What, what, what can we do better to help with um, modifying, maybe that's almost too our welling in there, but um, helping to um, raise awareness for employees to bring down the, their risk? What, what are some things that you think that maybe we can help so that there isn't as much risk to the insurance side for, for a claim? I, to me, I'm going
1: to focus on the 60,000-foot you know, view here because there are certainly a lot of technical challenges that are pretty consistent, repeated throughout different organizations that contribute to a lot of risk, like figure out your assets and patch them. There you go. You've eliminated a lot of risk and a lot of Mm -hmm. organizations simply fall down there. But I I think there's a higher level, um, higher level picture problem. And that is we have spent, uh, think about the trajectory of the sort of ITification of business, right? We spent, um, you know, from right after World War II, right up through really the, the, the ransomware outbreak in somewhere between 2015, and 2017, where we were primarily taking manual processes and inserting computers, and replacing them with computers and then mm-hmm. and networks, then the internet, now mobile devices, now mobile internet. And we're, we've got this slow burn over decades where I'm not going to, I'm not going to demean people who were working security back then and say it didn't matter, but it was not what it was today.
0: No. Um,
1: and I, I think we, we saw this break just, you know, five, seven years ago where all of a sudden We have to seriously put resources and thought into managing the risk that has been generated by the last 60 or 70 years of putting everything on a computer and a network. And unfortunately, the leadership at a lot of organizations, because IT can be so technical, so steeped in jargon, so arcane to them, it's always had this idea of that's an IT problem, that's an IT problem. And this this concept of, no, this is a serious business problem and our business is actively under attack and our revenue streams are at risk in a very significant way is a new mindset that we need to make sure that the folks holding the purse strings and assessing risk at the top of the organization really understand and because that drives all the investment, that drives the thinking, that drives the resources for how you formulate a security strategy that can actually work for your business.
0: I, I'm so glad you said that because I, I, th- there are so many times when people will refer to all of this as IT security. And and once you start there, you are immediately discounting maybe 80% of what is really involved as far as the risks go and all that. And, and I, I like to say that words matter and being precise with words matter. And one of my soapbox items is that, so we have um, IT security, cybersecurity, and information security, and everybody thinks that each one means something else. I personally prefer the term information security because ultimately, what are we trying to protect and what are we trying to keep flowing? That's information. but. Um, that evolution story is interesting because of the fact yeah i i know i'm preaching to the choir here but that that the internet the way that it started it 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 was designed to be secure but for a different part of the triad it was designed tcpip was designed for high availability we never thought about like anything else as far as we wanted to make sure that the bits and bytes got through it was never about like stopping bits and bytes until we started to get that flip in the later 90s and so forth so it's a very stressful field. And uh, um, one of the things that I always like to hear as far as stories go is it, it, because it's important to decompress, it's important to have balance, I think, in this industry. Um, what do you do to maintain that sort of sense of balance in your life?
1: Ooh, um, you know, I have a, a, quite a few different uh, hobbies that I engage in. Um, you know, most recently I, I, I uh, invested in a, uh, a Komodo grill, so I'm trying to figure that out. It's one. Of the, uh, well, I got a big green egg. There are a few different brands of them, but it's it's literally it looks like a big green egg. It's a few hundred pounds of ceramic, <laughs> and uh, it's for doing you know that that low and slow cook. You know, making a brisket that you start at 3 a.m. and don't eat till. 8pm. Um, it, it takes some, some time and attention and practice to get good at it. So I like throwing myself into that. I'm a huge nerd about coffee. Um, you know, I have a very uh, specific setup in my, my morning ritual for how I prepare it with the pour over and the scale with the timer and all that kind of thing. Um, I do, I, I'm, I've been a lifelong gamer, though I don't do it so much anymore. Uh, it used to be kind of a relaxing thing. I recently picked up Elden Ring, which is the opposite of react of uh, relaxing, but um, for anyone who knows it, they will absolutely appreciate that. It's one of the I, most- I have
0: no idea what that is. Uh, <laughs> it,
1: it's brutally hard. Like you fail more often than you win, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it is so, a great information or focusing.
0: So, so, so if you if you have something in your off time that's more stressful than infosec and cybersecurity, uh, then that cybersecurity seems less stressful. Is that the th- the theory?
1: It's something like that. I will like uh, say, you know on my side of it yeah there's stress but uh, from the insurance perspective we are utilizing the law of large numbers right uh there is certainly urgency when we have an insured who has um some sort of data breach ransomware whatever it might be when we get a claim we have to move fast uh it's the same sort of firefighting that we have to do you know on the incident response side more engineering focused roles but the upshot is it's, we see a lot of them because we see a lot more accounts that don't have them. Uh, mm-hmm. At least that's the, the case if you're underwriting effectively. So it's a, a little bit of a different proposition. And I will say compared to some friends who are still working in SecOps and some folks I know who are you know, actually still CISOs, I think my job's got the better end of the stress part in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, future plans, do you, do you plan to maybe enter back into the CISO world or stay in insurance or, you start uh, off you know, another I MSP? Of like it.
1: Yeah, I kind of like it on the insurance side. Um, I'm not sure I, I see myself here forever. You know, I'd, I'd love to get into something more, uh, or at least more far reaching and policy oriented. I, I feel like both the insurance and the, um, you know, security, but engineering sides tend to be a little bit lost in the details sometimes and, uh, we really collectively suffer from a lack of people putting a lot of this together at the highest levels. Um, but at the same time, I really like insurance. Uh, it, it's been a good industry for me. Uh, I know it's a little bit invisible. can be a little bit uh, mystifying from the outside, but you know, I would certainly recommend uh, this is a, a viable career path for anyone who's in an incident response or a CISO who's looking, how can I... Maybe this is a little too stressful. Maybe I'm tired of the fire girl all the time. <laughs> Big look over here. We can always use more security talent.
0: Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate your perspective. Appreciate you coming on with us today. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to hook up again and uh, get some uh, tips on brisket and coffee. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. And for everybody else, stay secure.